0: As we turn to the Scriptures this morning, we're going to read Acts 423 to 31. The last several weeks we've been on Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, and we're moving towards the back end of that now. Here's what we read. On the release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, as we look into this prayer this morning that Peter and John and the early church, the first church of Jerusalem prayed, I I ask that you would give us insights into knowing not only how they prayed, but how that informs the way that we pray today, what we can ask you for, how we should approach you, and how you sometimes choose to respond we recognize we live in a world today that is also uncertain even as their world was uncertain there are many things that we cannot control and there are days that we we wake up and we we wonder has the whole world fallen apart and there are other days when it seems like the balance is is far more in control to give us wisdom and perspective and increasingly equip us in knowing how to use this gift and tool and privilege of prayer that you have given to us. I ask that you will bless your people who are here, that you'll give each of us a sense of your presence in our lives, that you are a God who can be counted on, a God who understands what is going on far beyond our ability to see the world or to to see world events, and that you'll give us confidence that you have our best in mind, but also that you are working out details according to a plan that ultimately ends up in the glory of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Many of you won't know the name of Beckett Cook, but Beckett Cook was a gay activist and an atheist living in and working in Hollywood in 2005. He'd become very successful as a set designer and costume designer in the movie industry. Among the friends that he worked with and knew well were Katy Perry and Oprah. He also developed a clothing line that sold in LA, New York and in Paris. He heard about Jesus and the Bible and was convinced that all of this was not for him. But a handful of Christians began to impact his life. A young woman working as a model had broken off a dating relationship and he was surprised at that and the reason was because the man she had fallen for was not a Christian and was not interested in ever being a Christian. And she realized that she couldn't continue that relationship and have the same kind of intimacy that she desired with the Lord, so she broke it off. Her sincerity of faith in that act impacted Beckett. Beckett also had a sister-in-law who loved him and was praying for him faithfully. She was more concerned about his spiritual condition and his conviction that the the Bible, based on his Catholic religion classes, just didn't make sense. She never pushed faith on him, but she never stopped praying for him. It was great love and and, uh, sincerity that impacted her, or impacted him. Great love combined with bold prayer. Then one day, he fell into a conversation with a couple of guys at a coffee shop who were debating some of their theological questions. They ended up inviting him to go to their church, which ended up being Reality LA is the name of the church. And the next Sunday, he accepted their invitation. And when he got there, he was blown away by the boldness of the pastor's message. He was preaching from Romans 7, where the Apostle Paul describes the man who wrestles with his sin nature. Included in those words from Romans 7 are these, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, and what I hate I do. He was struck by the boldness of the preaching that he heard that day, and he realized that the Lord was offering to set him free. And on that day, September 9th, 2005, he surrendered his heart to follow Jesus Christ. In an interview with CBN, he told CBN's Faith Wire, God's like, I'm real. Jesus is my son. He's real, heaven's real, hell's real. You are now adopted into my kingdom. You are my child now. And he sensed God impressing all those things to him on that particular day. He was so blown away that he couldn't stop crying for the rest of the church service. He realized that he was crying for two reasons. The first was the joy of meeting God, and the second was the joy of being released from the control that sin had in his life. A guy who never wanted to talk about sin before had now realized that he'd been set free. I tell you this story because Beckett Cook was dramatically impacted by the loving and bold faith he saw in a handful of Christians who loved him and cared about him and who in some cases were praying for him. As we continue this faith explosion series, we're looking this morning at principles that contributed to the spread of Christian faith in the earliest years of the Christian church. And today's topic is bold prayer, bold action. My question is, How does prayer impact people today? Sometimes we pray for other people or we're encouraged to. How does prayer really work in that occasion? There are two key observations that this morning's message is based on. Uh, Here's the first one. Great churches pray when times get tough. Great churches. Uh, So we go back to verse 23. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you realize that Peter and John... Uh, were led to offer the power of Jesus Christ that ended up healing a man who was born lame, and that got them in trouble. That act brought them into a trial before the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of Jerusalem. They'd been thrown in jail overnight at first, and then the trial continued on into a second day before they were finally given a bunch of threats, told never to preach or speak in the name of Jesus again, never to to mention the resurrection, and then they were set free. So here we're learning, what did they do at the moment that they were set free and they were released again? And the first thing that we see was they went back to the church, to the people that they belonged to, and they began to pray. And so verse 23 says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Verse 23 answers that question, what was their first reaction after they were set free? This gives us a sense that the rest of the disciples were completely unaware of all the events that we've taken a month and a half to look at that are recorded in Acts chapter three and chapter four. This means they didn't know, they were unaware that Peter and John had spent a night in jail. And they were not present for that trial before the Sanhedrin. So Peter and John filled them in on all that had happened. Not only did they pray, but they gathered others to pray with them." Now, we don't know how many people were in that particular prayer meeting. We do know that the church had grown rapidly. They had 120 people before the Holy Spirit broke out on the day of Pentecost. On that particular day, 3,000 people responded to the preaching of Peter in the streets, and 3,000 of them were were baptized that day. And then, earlier in chapter 4, we're told that as a result of the miraculous healing of the man who'd been born lame, when Peter and John called on him to rise up in the name of Jesus Christ, it says that there are now 5,000 men, or more than 5,000 men alone, who were following Jesus. That's not even counting the women and children. So you get the sense that the, the first church in Jerusalem was growing rapidly in the early years of the disciples' ministry, Modern churches today are tempted to base greatness on a number of things. The size of our buildings, the the growth of our budgets, the numbers of programs that we put into operation, the skills of our, our worship team and our musicians and singers. But this very first church was great because of the impact of their prayers. That's what I'd like to look into this morning. Not only do we learn that great churches pray when times get tough. Here's the second observation that's part of the foundational level of this message. Great Christians pray when times get tough. So verse 24 adds to this, it says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. This becomes one of the hallmark features of the very first Christian church. The disciples had learned to pray directly from Jesus. The disciples carried on with this discipline and now they were inviting others into their prayer times. So this book that we know here as the Acts of the Apostles includes several prayers and several prayer gatherings in the report that is handed down to us. There we find several different types of prayers and prayer gatherings that are reported on. Some of these prayers involved only one individual. Think of uh, how Paul includes prayers in a number of his letters. Some of these prayer groups involved only one or two people, and some were much larger. Think of Paul with the elders from Ephesus as they were parting company that's written about in Acts chapter 20. And that prayer is recorded in there uh, for us to learn from as an example. This uh, makes sure that this is an essential element in our recipe for healthy Christianity. Anything that we would determine makes up part of healthy Christianity that leaves out a robust prayer life is not going to match anything that had to do with the power that we see reflected in these reports on the earliest church. If we want to be a great church today, we must continue to create opportunities to pray together. If you want your small group to get to the next level of really being an impactful small group, make your group uh, having a, a prayer time that is also part of that recipe. If you want to build a great marriage or a great family, find a way to build prayer into that mix. If you want to reach the next level of Christian development in your own life, make prayer a part of your daily routine. Here's the big idea that I'd like to explore and expand with you over the next few minutes. When the church goes to God in prayer... Boldness and impact are sure to follow. When the church goes to God in prayer in times of trouble, in times of joy, and on a regular basis, boldness and impact within the culture are sure to follow. We're going to look at four elements of this world-shaping prayer that is recorded for us here in chapter 4. And we're going to make some observations, and then hopefully we will learn some principles where, where we are led to follow their example. Somebody else called this missional prayer. If you want to think of of this, they were on mission for God, and their prayer was really a part of furthering that mission. So if we were to think through missional prayer today, here are four elements of world-shaping prayer. Number one, acknowledge that God is in control. So, within their prayer, we find elements of this. Verse 24 says, when they heard this, in other words, when they heard the report report from Peter and John, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, and here's how they started off. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Great churches rely on the greatness of God, and they rehearse among themselves the greatness of God. This fledgling church in Jerusalem didn't think of themselves as a great church. Well, they couldn't. They were the only church that was in existence yet in the world at that time. And they're growing too fast with too much opposition to stop and think about things like greatness. But they knew enough to turn first toward the greatness of God. Their prayer started with an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty. Sovereign Lord, they said. This is always an acknowledgement that God is king, that he rules over all. What evidence, what evidence did they base this on? Well, then they move right into the next thought. Here's the proof. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea. They did not view this world as an accident, so God must have a purpose for them, just as God has a purpose for everything in creation. When we recognize the sovereignty of God, this does two things for us. First, it aligns us with God's greatness, and second, it puts us in the posture of humility, looking to God's strength rather than our own strength. This is so important because so often we are tempted to rely on our own strength first. It comes natural. It's the way that we are raised in this world, to be strong, take control of things. But there are so many things that we are unable to control in this life. One of the great things that prayer does for us is it puts us in that posture where we are looking upward to God and recognizing there are some things that are beyond our control. God, only you can change this. And when we pray to God and we acknowledge His sovereignty, it puts us into that posture. Here's the second element of this world shaping prayer that we see from them Refresh your worldview. Look at how they take this prayer a little bit further in verse 25. They're continuing and they say, You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Last week I made a point about expecting opposition. This part of the Acts 4 prayer brings us back to that notion. In their prayer, they quote from a well-known section of Psalm 2. Psalm 2 begins this way, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? And then we come to see as they quote the rest of, of this little snippet of Psalm 2 is that the conflict that they were seeing is that the world is in conflict with Jesus, not necessarily with them. Jesus is the anointed one of God. Wait a minute. I thought everybody loves Jesus in our world. Isn't that what we hear over and over again? We love Jesus, it's the church we can't stand? The, per- the perspective that the disciples in the Jerusalem prayer group was that people opposed to them had that opposition because ultimately they were opposed to Jesus and to his goals. And so Psalm 2 describes how kings rise up and rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. Now, some people go back to Psalm chapter 2 and they think this is all about the future, about some future event that will happen towards the cataclysmic end of mankind and the return of Jesus Christ, the things that are written about in the book of Revelation. But the disciples seem to be interpreting that psalm as applying to the day that they were living in, that the kings that were around them, the the Herods and the Pilates and even the Emperor of Rome, were arrayed against the power of the Lord revealed in Jesus Christ as his anointed one. There's one primary reason why they took this perspective. People who do not fully surrender to the sovereignty of God resent the sovereignty of God. They fail to recognize how much our sin offends a pure and holy God. It's not any one sin. It's all sin. Sin is every attempt by created ones to throw off the plans and the intention of the Creator. It's as simple as that. Our sin doesn't make us unlovable or or extract all good from our lives, but it deeply offends the Creator who made us and who has plans for our good, and it pulls us off our alignment with Him. Now this is why there are pockets of our culture that in every age, in every generation, or every decade, who are determined to remove God from society. It's not just that they have a different philosophy. At some level, those who resist or reject God are actually going through an internal battle or an inner war. That war is with the sovereignty of God rather than they themselves being the captains of their own souls. Dr. Timothy Keller once stated that God doesn't reject anyone for any one specific act, but it is the sin that is behind every sin that offends God so deeply. And you know what that sin is? The sin that is behind every other sin is pride. The pride that asserts that we know better than God. Pride turns whatever we put in front of God or ahead of God into an idol in our lives. And idolatry keeps us from heaven. So our pride leads us all into the practice of idolatry at some time or another where we determine that we are, in effect, our own gods, that we know better, until the day comes when we surrender to His way, to His grace, and to His sovereignty. Thinking this way refreshes our understanding of God and why the world around us sometimes does not agree with you and your beliefs or your habits and resents Him. Again, here's our big idea. When the, church goes, when the church goes to God in prayer, boldness and impact are sure to follow. So we've looked at two of these elements. First, we've, we've, t- we've talked about acknowledging God as the sovereign one. We've talked about refreshing our, view, our worldview. Here's the third element. Call upon God for boldness. Look at their example here. Within this prayer, verse 29, they continue. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Look at what they asked for. Boldness. They didn't ask for an easier path. There's a popular version of American Christianity at work today that is foreign to the behaviors and the patterns that we see here from the earliest church. It teaches that if we just have enough faith, God will give us all the things that we desire in life. The Jerusalem Christians were nothing like that. They didn't ask for anything like that. They didn't ask for God to destroy their opponents. This is the attitude we see arising when we mix Christian faith with politics, Today's politicians want to own the other party. They want to destroy their opponents. I get that in the sense of competition. But again, the Jerusalem church didn't ask for anything like that. They prayed for boldness in order to proclaim the message of God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus more boldly. Why? Why would they do that? They loved the people who were arrayed against God in that moment. They realized these were people that God loved and ultimately wanted to change their hearts, change their minds, change their destinies, change the way that they thought. At the moment they were opposed to God, but the church began loving the people who were opposing them because they realized that God wanted to change their way of thinking. So it wasn't just about winning by destroying the opponent. They were after winning over the opponent's. And they called for boldness in that. We need more boldness today. Not boldness to offend, not boldness to destroy, not boldness to take down others. This kind of boldness that they were asking for and demonstrating wasn't arrogance and it wasn't cockiness. It was boldness to live out the gospel daily and to speak God's word more clearly. Why? Because God's word changes and softens hearts and minds. Eugene Peterson, he's, he's the author of um, one of the more contemporary versions of the Bible that some of you have used. He wrote in a book called Reverse Thunder, quote, while conflicts raged between good and evil, prayers went up from devout, hands, devout bands of first century Christians all over the Roman Empire. Massive engines of persecution and scorn were ranged against them. They had neither weapons nor votes. They had little money and no prestige. But they did have prayer. And those prayers changed the course of history. What happens when we are buoyed by a boldness that comes from God? Let me tell you a contemporary story. Brittany De La Mora was, uh went into hiding while detectives searched for the man who had killed a man that she had been dating just a few years ago. The stabbing had happened right in front of her. And while they were searching, she had to stay out of sight. She was terrified. She was put up in a hotel for several days where she found a Bible in the drawer of the hotel nightstand. She was not a Christian. And she was working in the porn industry at the time. In the hotel, she read every part of Scripture that seemed to apply to her really bad situation. And she looked for people who were in trouble, and and she was trying to see how they responded, what kind of prayers that they offered. And she wrote down those verses on a pad of paper that seemed to speak to her, and she kept them in a notebook. Later, she wrote about that week that she was spending in that hotel. She wrote, Something about the Word of God gave me so much hope, so much encouragement during one of the hardest seasons that I've ever been through in life, unquote. Today, Brittany is part of a husband and wife team who are youth pastors at Cornerstone Church in San Diego. Six years ago, she worked in the porn industry. Today, she's a church leader. She and her husband teach teens how to start where you are, and in the midst of all the sexual confusion that's a part of our age, how do you reclaim a healthy approach to sexuality out of love for God? Phenomenal things happen when people turn toward God in prayer. Phenomenal things happen when people seek God and seek the boldness that comes with clarity of His truth. And then here's the fourth uh, element ask God to pour out His power. Look at the way that they end this prayer in verses 30 and 31 stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus." So they weren't backing off from mentioning the name of Jesus. They were going to continue to rely on the name of Jesus. And then verse 31 adds, "'After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God more boldly.'" This church group didn't know how or when the Lord would answer their prayer. In fact, Peter and John didn't know. The, the church at large, when they gathered together, they didn't know how God was going to respond. Yet they asked. They asked the Lord to stretch out His hand. You know what that phrase reminds me of when they, they were asking the Lord to stretch out His hand? It reminds me of the scene of Moses when he's told to take his staff and stretch out his staff over the waters when the people were up against the Red Sea and the Egyptian armies coming in behind them. They didn't know what God was going to do next. And God parted the sea, and they went through on dry, dry ground. That came to mind again as we were singing uh, just a few minutes ago. I'm calling on the God of Moses. I'm calling on the God of Abraham. I'm calling on the God of Mary. And we see in that song all of these dramatic situations where God came through for people who lifted up their prayers to Him. That's what we continue to do today. We don't control the Lord, we don't have the right to demand what He must do, but He invites us to ask as children ask their very own Father. And when we do this, we enter into the mystery of God, the mystery of why He sometimes says yes to our prayers directly and immediately and why He sometimes waits until a better timing and why sometimes God says no because our desires don't align with His plans. I love the way the Lord responded in this situation. Not just Peter and John, but the entire church this time was filled with the Spirit. Remember how I, mentioned, I noticed that Peter was filled with the Spirit when he began this defense before the Sanhedrin? Now we see that the whole church is gathered together in prayer, and God filled them with His Spirit. The direct result of that filling was a greater boldness to speak the Word of God. I get the sense this was not just from Peter and John as leaders of the disciples, but for the whole church movement, wherever they went, as they told their stories, as they dealt with their neighbors and explained what was going on inside of them to their family, that God gave them collectively a boldness. And as a tangible reminder, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I don't know what this looked like, I don't know what this felt like. Did it feel like an earthquake? I don't know that this ever happened again. But the presence of God filled the room and shook the room, filling the church not with fear but with boldness. And I do believe that there are times today when God sends His presence in such a powerful way that we all sense that we are caught up in something greater and God begins to move us in the direction where He wants to take us. When the church goes to God in prayer, boldness and impact are sure to follow. Let's experiment with this over and over and over again and see what God has for us in our day. But when God comes with his spirit, he fills you with a courage and a boldness to speak the truth that he has planted in your heart. Let's pray. God in heaven, we call on you, the same God who has acted with great power in the past. We believe that you are the same God today who we read about in the Scriptures of old. You are the same God who answered prayers then and who answers prayers now. You are the same God who provides in the midst of our problems then and will provide in the midst of our problems today. You are the same God that we call upon for healing who was able to heal them and healed some, and today you continue to heal some, simply because we call upon you and ask for your mercy. We ask that you would heal our nation, that you would somehow find a way to to bring healing that can break this great spirit of division that seems to uh, fall upon all of us at different times. We pray that you will also... Make our church one that is filled with such a love of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit in such a great way that there is a boldness and courage about the, about the way that we live our faith and the way that we talk to others and the way that we see those who may be opposed from you or today who are simply those who are being worked on by the Spirit and loved by a God who is changing minds and hearts. Lord, change hearts all around us and draw them to Jesus so that none will be left out of the joy that comes at the end. Use us toward this end. In his name we pray. Amen.